Welcome to another episode of the Skeptical Sheep Podcast, where I bring you real stories and raw conversations from people who have left Christianity behind. You'll hear the highs and lows of what it's really like to leave your faith. I'm your host, Laura Flood, and let's meet this week's guest. All right. Hi, guys. I am here with Susanna, and I'm going to let her introduce herself to you. So my name is Susanna. I am 48 years old, and I'm the mother of uh, 14 children, 12 biological and two adopted. Um, I live in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Well, I'm doing this because I think it is really important. It's been so important to me to have hear other people's stories. Uh, it actually helps me in my processing that's ongoing uh, to hear other people's stories. So this is, I think what you're doing is very important. Yeah, I, I really hope that's, I think my main focus here is to help other people to not feel so isolated because it is such a unique and um, weird thing to go through that it feels like sometimes nobody else around you knows what it's like. So, wow, I, you have 14 children, first of all. That is incredible. Well, How old is your oldest? He uh, is 26. Okay. And he is also actually uh, deconstructed from Christianity. He would describe himself as an optimistic nihilist at this point. And uh, was one of the most decent, caring, hardworking, and smart human beings that I know. (laughs) My husband and I are close with my oldest son and his wife. We um, helped to support him through his faith crisis a few years ago. And then he in turn did the same for me this year. And how old is your youngest? He's four years old. Wow. Okay. So you're still in like full blown raising kids mode and everything like that. Yes. And I will be for some time. We also, of our 14 children, five of them have disabilities. So the two okay. girls we adopted both have disabilities. And we have a daughter with Down syndrome, autism, ADHD, and anxiety. And we have two sons who are both on the autism spectrum, as is my husband. So we adopted two girls. One has a cerebral palsy, mild to moderate, and the other has Down syndrome, but she had been severely neglected and starved in her orphanage in Bulgaria before we adopted her. So at age uh, almost 10 years old, when we brought her home, she weighed only 10 and a half pounds. Wow. So you are a busy woman to say the least. So why don't you just start from the beginning for me and tell me when you came to Christianity, maybe your earliest memories and how that transpired? Well, I was born into a conservative evangelical family. My father um, strongly holds reformed views, um, if you're familiar with that branch of Christianity. And really, my father's beliefs were totalitarian. So (laughs) there was, with his strong uh, personality and his own, I would say, trauma issues, there really was no other option but to believe what my father believed, because my father was right. So as I, as I have be, been deconstructing this year, I had to face the fact that what I had been excusing for many years and um, justifying in my mind was really traumatic religious abuse and indoctrination. From infancy, my father required my mom to limit how much, he, how much she fed us. So we got three bottles a day. 
he truly believed that children were born with a rebellious will against God and that our wills needed to be broken. Um, I was taught systematically with the Bible that everything about me was intrinsically evil and not to be trusted. My thoughts, my will, my beliefs, my opinions, my feelings, especially everything about me was suspect. It was tainted with evil. Anything that was good that would come out of me was to be credited to God. And as my earthly authority, my father really in my mind became conflated with God. So I knew if I was pleasing God by whether my father was pleased with me. And that became extremely problematic. <laughs> I learned very, you learn, children know very early on that to get any kind of crumbs of approval or affirmation, um, I needed to be a very good little girl. I was terrified of the consequences if I disobeyed. So I really, as I look back, I just bullied myself into being and doing and saying and thinking and believing and feeling everything as much as possible that I thought would get my father's approval. And I was taught explicitly that this would be pleasing to God, that would be pleasing to God, and I would have the blessing of God on my life for doing that. And I would not have it if I would go, you know, out from under the umbrella of authority of my father, then I would be left unprotected. And uh, unfortunately, that situation and all the beliefs, I believe, of Christianity, really in the Old and New Testament, enables abuse, and it serves to silence the abused. So being taught that to be godly means um, suffering gladly, carrying your cross. It, uh, my, my first main objection, I think, to Christianity and foremost is that it's, that it's just imprinted right in the core beliefs of Christianity that uh, hierarchical, authoritarian, patriarchal views that um, enable, to so easily enable abusers. There are yeah. injunctions to self-police that can be easily ignored because <sighs> there's no recourse for women or children who are being mistreated. When it's from birth, like it was for me, I did not even have zero frame of reference for even thinking outside of that. I believed that I deserved all the discipline that I was getting. I love that you brought that you the way you said it, that um, this patriarchal setup that religion or that Christianity portrays to us enables abusers. And I just like the way that you worded that and that the women and the children are the ones who suffer. And I, I love how raw and honest you are about the way you grew up, because I think it's really important that people hear that, especially the people who maybe want to be in the dark about these things going on, because a lot of people want to paint a picture of Christianity like it's this big, happy, fun thing. And God's going to make your life not perfect, but better. And at the end of the day, there's really nothing but abuse for the women and children within any religion, I think. Especially in the very conservative branches. I, I really rack my brain now to think whether I know any conservative evangelical women who I would say were emotionally and mentally very healthy. You just have to be it because also when you're born into it or you're in a very close knit community, you can't leave without leaving everyone and being the pariah and being rejected and being seen as backslidden. Even now, verses from the Bible come to my mind about in the last days, many will fall away. 
Um, <laughs> it's just so hard to get that stuff out of your brain once it's been so imprinted in there. But I don't know if this is the right time to, to explain how I started to come out and what I started to see, have my eyes opened. It is really connected with the size family that we have and, and the amount of responsibility that we took on. So we completely implicitly trusted God. And because of that, we made extremely risky life decisions that if we had been using only common sense, not praying, seeking God, seeking the counsel of the church leaders, etc. We never, we never would have had 14 children. We never would have adopted children with disabilities. What we didn't know at the time was that I was not an emotionally and mentally healthy and strong place to be able to handle that type of responsibility. Very, very stressful. Marriages that are affected by disability, a very high rate of failure. And the more you know, significant the disability, the higher the rate of failure, especially with behavioral issues coming in. But the, the lifestyle of being a parent caregiver, it's an extremely stressful lifestyle. We thought we had everything we needed because we had God on our side and we trusted that he would provide for us, although we did not have insurance. We use a Christian healthcare sharing program, just extremely risky life decisions. So our 10th child was born with Down syndrome. We found out because of her birth and becoming connected with the Down syndrome community, we found out that across Eastern Europe, Children born with disabilities like Down syndrome and others are institutionalized from birth, often starved, mistreated, head shaved. This broke our hearts and we told each other if God ever gave us a chance, we would do something about it. We went on to adopt our daughter Katie from Bulgaria. She had been systematically starved from, you know, from the time of her birth. She had, she had only grown a few pounds. Her body had just kind of gone into hibernation. So we brought her home at almost 10 years old, weighing 10 and a half pounds, and went back very quickly to the same orphanage and brought home a little boy who was the size of a four-year-old, but he was 16. And he had some undetermined genetic condition, but it also significantly developmentally delayed. When we brought Katie home, she was comparatively easy. Uh, we adjusted to her pretty quickly. My entire life revolved around caring for my children. I was pregnant at the same time we were adopting the little boy named Tommy. It was just one drama after another. We believed God was providing because I was blogging through all of this. I blogged through both adoptions. So we went into the adoption with Tommy and... Um, Within a few weeks after bringing him home, this would be seven years ago now, everything tanked. We stopped eating. We had to hospitalize him. We had to get a feeding tube. He developed this horrible diarrhea. It's like life altering. We couldn't live a normal life. I felt like our family was falling apart. The provision was not coming in. There was um, none of the needs that he was having were covered by the Christian healthcare sharing program we were part of. $1,000 a month just for his formula which we didn't have, a large family, one income, moderate income. And I say now that from the time we brought him home, events played out exactly as if there was no God at all. I went into a terrible depression. The church that had said they would have our backs and yes, we can see this as your calling from God. They turned on us. They were critical. I don't even want to quote some of the things that were said. They were just so hurtful. I stopped going to church. Criticism of why was not, why was I not making an effort to get to church, but it was stressful even to think about going there and being on public view. And 13 and a half months after we brought, we brought Tommy home, he 
died in our home in a tragic accident for which I blame myself. I was so bewildered and in the dark. I didn't understand where God had gone. I'm still processing all of that. You felt like God was punishing you and that your life wasn't fruitful. This was something he was doing to punish you for it, basically. It absolutely felt like a punishment, yes. And my mind was just searching about what 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 was it? What did I do? Why had he gone away and left us? It just felt like our family was swirling the drain and then he died. And at the time, in the next year or so, I still had a strong belief that God was there, but I no longer felt safe and cared for. I, I felt that God was very cruel. The picture that came into my mind, it felt like it was like a child at the top of the stairs and the father's at the bottom saying, jump, jump, I'll catch you. And the child jumps and the father just steps aside and lets you roll into the fire. And um, you felt like God was the, the one at the bottom of the steps telling you to jump and you were the one who was jumping and not being caught. Absolutely. And it just felt cruel. It felt purposeful. It felt like intentional hurt. But through the whole time, I, I didn't lose the sense that God was completely sovereign, completely in control. But that was the first time I seriously questioned whether I was a Christian, whether I was really his child. Maybe it was all just a cultural construct. Of course, I was going to think all these things because of the way I was raised. And that was really the first time I seriously questioned that. I didn't question that he was good. He was right. He was sovereign. But for some reason, I was now on the outside and it never came back. So it was just always... I never got any sense back that God loved me. And I, I cried every day for seven months and gradually the darkness faded away and I found my bearings and I just justified everything in my mind as well. You know, you don't trust your feelings just because I don't feel like God loves me doesn't mean it's true. That's how I've been taught to think that there's this reality that's beyond what we can sense and feel. And that's what we have faith in. Even when we don't feel it, we don't trust our feelings. I look back now and I was systematically taught to deny reality. If I just go back now and tell a story in the deconstructed way and just give the basic facts about most of my life, a lot of it's pretty brutal. But at the time, I was just casting a golden glow over it all and putting it in the best possible light. And I just so completely and utterly and sincerely and earnestly believed all of it. And I was very influential on other people because of my writing on the blog. I told it all from a completely, utterly, thoroughly reformed Christian worldview. So take me back to, you said that after the tragedy had happened in your family, you still somewhat believed that God was real. You believe you you thought I don't feel him. I don't feel his love, but I still know that he's there and he's all knowing. When did it go from that to you now being completely deconstructed? So, I knew that if there was a fault, it could not be with God. It certainly had to be with me. And it wasn't until probably 8 months after Tommy died that I was very angry. I went to the angry stage. I resisted. I did not want to feel angry. I felt like that would be a failure, a spiritual failure on my part, but I was angry, Um, very angry with God, just angry. And I started to say the things that I felt angry about. Then there was PTSD involved, complex PTSD, anxiety. There's the really unrelenting high stress level of being caregiver 
and running this size family, my I struggled more and more and more emotionally. I almost felt like I had a disability myself after Tommy died. I really struggled. My brain was foggy. I had panic attack, nightmares, it affected my sleep. And then uh, one of our biological children who had been recently uh, diagnosed with autism, ADHD and anxiety, went through puberty and everything fell apart. It was was just a highly, it's indescribably stressful winter and spring. And I started to break down. So this would have been two years ago. I just started to break down. I, I never really would have understood what that meant. I thought if someone had an emotional breakdown, they would, I don't know, tear all their clothes off and start screaming and throwing things. <laughs> I didn't understand what a breakdown really meant. But what it meant for me was, uh, it was just like breaks. My, my, my brain would just stop working. I could be in the middle of a sentence. I could be driving with a GPS and and get lost and not know where I was and couldn't get it together to find out, figure out where I was. I could be in the middle of a conversation with a professional in an appointment. All of a sudden, there's just a blank. I couldn't understand what they were saying. I just learned to smile and nod and cover it up. I would stutter. If someone asked me how I was, I'd burst into tears. I would just lose conversations right in the middle. Uh, just everything just started getting more. It was, to me, it was terrifying because I have to be highly functional to be the mom of this family. I started to become very concerned and went back to the same therapist. And she warned us that if we did not take some drastic steps, that we would end up in the far more drastic situation of mom being hospitalized. <laughs> so that was enough for us to take it seriously. It still took about nine months to even get our family to the point where we had margin to address my needs because I had so completely neglected my own needs. I was trying to meet all the godly standards that I had been taught that I had to do. So we started to take that seriously then. I just started systematically addressing every area of dysfunction or neglect in my life. Just went through the list, went to different specialists. I had a minor surgery, started going to the gym. What ended up being the most transformative for me and really set off the rest of the events that happened turns out that I have a good bit of athletic ability. I absolutely loved it. I started doing heavy weightlifting and running. Very competitive as it turns out. I thought I didn't have a competitive bone in my body, thought I couldn't run, thought I hated to sweat. Um, Just the whole, I thought I wasn't athletic and absolutely loved it. And I started to become a healthier person. I started to be happy. I started to feel happy. Uh, I obviously get the good endorphin effect from exercise. (laughs) I know not everyone gets that, but I started to just feel like a normal, happy person. I realized I don't think I've ever been emotionally healthy in my entire life. I've never felt this way before. I felt I started to gain gain a sense of confidence rather than the self-loathing of my physical body. Um, I've dissociated from a lot of feelings, including sexual feelings for years Um, just like physical awareness and the joy of life and feeling, just feeling happiness. It was, it was all so good. And another important component was um, it got me out of my little tiny white conservative evangelical bubble. So I started making real life friends who were secular, did not have any type of religion at all. The previous few years, our oldest son, like I said, had gone through his own faith crisis. And my husband and I had been his sounding board and been very supportive of him. 
And then he was able to do the same for me. And so he was able to be a big help to me. I saw the lie given to what, what I had been taught. Of course, I was taught good us versus bad them. So atheists were, you know, the classic biblical fool dancing on God's thumbnail and shaking their little puny fist in the face of God, you know. And of course, they they just decide out of rebellion, they don't want to believe in God because they want to get away with every evil thing that their evil imagination can come up with. Well, I could clearly see that was not the case for my son. His whole motivation, he's a, he's a highly intelligent guy. I could see he wasn't a rebel against God trying to get away with evil. And he hasn't turned into some monster trying to get away with, with hurting people. He's got one of the best marriages that I've ever seen. And he's a man of integrity and cares about justice. And, you know, so I could, I could just see more and more areas. What I have been taught was not true. What I have been taught was a lie. What I have been taught was toxic. What I have been taught has caused harm just over and over and over again. All through That was all through last year. So I remember saying to my son, I'm the latest tombstone in the graveyard of churchianity. <laughs> Just it was the church, you know, the church is what has failed. Um, gave one last ditch effort in January. I thought, okay, what's the common advice given? Go directly to the scriptures. Just go to the word, Susanna, go to the word. Let God tell you for himself who he is. I thought, okay, I'm going to do that. It's January I'm going to, now I don't have time to sit and read a Bible, but my habit was when I was showering in the morning, I would just listen to the audio Bible. I thought, I'm going to listen through the Bible. I'm going to start in Genesis. I'm going to go to Revelation. I'm going to let God tell me for himself who he is. Well, that was the biggest mistake I have ever made. It was the worst thing that I have ever done for my faith. I could not get past 1 Samuel. I felt sicker and sicker. I would have to shut it off. I was hyperventilating. I just, I had to stop because what I was hearing was, you know, if my husband and I parented our children the way God has described, as he was describing himself in the Old Testament, as I was saying back in January, was treating his own special people, these little minor infractions, and then the earth opens up and swallows them up. I mean, it was exactly like my dad. Um, and just listening to the laws about women, realizing I would have been considered unclean and an outcast most of my adult life, just listening to the actual laws and thinking about, you know, I'm an empathetic person, putting myself in the place of one of those Hebrew women. That doesn't sound like women were being elevated. Um, just all of the, all of the PR for God in the Bible that I had heard all of my life just started falling apart. It just was falling apart. And then uh, quarantine came. So here we are with tons of margin all of a sudden, no medical appointments, no IEP meetings, no other appointments, no therapy, we're just home. We're home. We're all home. I would say it was by the end of March. I it was everything was completely in rubble around me. I was completely the whole structure, entire structure had collapsed. And I would have said by the end of March, I cannot believe in God. That that's where I was. I will never again. I will never again be loyal to any ideology that requires me to deny reality. And from there, it's just been. Um, a normal process that anyone would go through trying to deconstruct their entire worldview that upheld every single life decision. <laughs> um, just one, one area of life after another, I guess one, one thing that kind of complicates it for me still is that I was so public. So my blog was a very popular one in the tiny niche world of special needs adoption. 
it was one of three or four really popular special needs adoption blogs. So I had lots of followers. At one point, I think while I was blogging, I was I had twenty four thousand people reading it every day during the most you know dramatic parts of our journey. It's like this big dread on me of there are these people who really look up to me as a faithful, bold, strong believer. And and they would hold on to the words that I was writing because their faith was weak. And one-to-one, I had encouraged so many struggling adoptive special needs Christian moms. So here I still am. Slowly, I think people are catching on. My political position has certainly changed, but I have not come right out and said, here is how my beliefs have changed. I have not felt ready to do that out there in public. In March, probably fewer than half a dozen people knew what was going on with me. And now, so I've been working behind the scenes, realizing that maybe 95% of my Facebook friends and in, in real life social circle are not going to be my friends <laughs> after they find out. And just that grieving of knowing I'm going to lose a lot of friends no matter what I try to do. Um, but my family of origin, like I used to think of them as the core family. I guess they felt like I belonged to them and they did what, what a classic, what you do to people who try to leave a cult <laughs> is they just came into my space and ripped me to shreds, called names, just excoriated me. And, um, I had to, that was, that was very, very hard to go through. I fell apart, <laughs> honestly. It was a trauma response, I guess, is what my therapist told me. Is what I'd go. I felt I would felt like I lost years of progress during those times, but I had to then put boundaries up. So whatever I had to do, block whatever, so that they were unable to get to me. So that was difficult. But to me, that was um, that was more a realization that what I had with them was a hope of a relationship, and the people around me could see that was not a friendship, Susanna. And I wanted to mm-hmm. think it was, and I. But I can clearly see now it was the same, just desperate, desperately trying to, you know, trying to get those crumbs of approval and affirmation and never really getting them. Um, They weren't really good friendships. And I'm now experiencing relationships with people who I can be myself, whatever that means exactly. I'm not exactly sure yet, but as far as I know (laughs) who I am, I can be myself and be accepted. And to me, that's mind blowing. It's, it's been amazing and freeing and cathartic. And I've gone through all the emotions. Um, something that I read just struck me and has stayed with me. Those who are the most sincere are damaged the most. What's something, the one biggest difference you see in yourself now versus positive difference you see in yourself now versus when you were in your beliefs? That I'm allowed to be real. I don't have to continually edit myself and edit myself and second guess and feel guilty and be afraid of doing the wrong thing. And I could just be myself. And I'm, I love that. I'm intending to go on being myself. <laughs> One of the things that, um, that always bothers me is when Christians say we need to die to ourselves and that it's selfish to live your own desires or dreams in life because you're supposed to submit to God. And 
I find that so toxic and unhealthy that they're telling people that. And to see someone like you who was raised in such a conservative, abusive way, be able to to be on the other side of of that now and to be living for yourself because really there's nothing wrong with that. Yes. And you know, the whole not trusting your gut feeling or that I mean, it still affects me to a certain person to a certain point, but I'm learning. And I was telling, I was telling these doubts to a therapist. Like, what if I turn out to be a bad person? What if I do things to hurt people? I feel like I can't trust myself. I'm afraid of just trusting myself because I don't know that I can keep myself in line. You know, then I was telling her about a trail run and because as a runner and as someone who really loves word pictures, that's how I learn and how I communicate. This was um, so profound for me. So I was born without an inner GPS. I literally get lost trying to go normal places. <laughs> I get lost very easily. I need that GPS. I've gone the wrong way up one-way streets more times than I can count. So I'm doing this trail run every Sunday morning now with a group. Very complicated trail run. You just cut off across this meadow and then you're going across this road and down this trail. Or sometimes you're on the road and then you, it's very complicated to me. And I just was following along with my little group and didn't have to think about where I was going. And then a new runner came. None of my usual people were there. And I and I said, can I please run with you? Because I don't know the trail. He's like, you don't know the trail yet? I'm like, no, I'm just so bad at this. He said, well, you're going to run ahead of me. This You're going to run ahead of me today. And he would not help me. So we would get to a, a choice and he'd say, what do you think? And do you know, at the beginning of that run, if you had asked me, I would have said, oh, I'm just going to get lost right away. I probably don't know 10% of this. I, I knew 90% of it. I had run it probably six or seven times, and I already knew 90 If I just went with my first gut feeling, I wasn't sure, but I was right. I was right 90% of the time, but at the same time, he was there, so I felt safe. And that just was such a picture to me of how I can proceed. So I've got my people. I've got people around me who are stable emotionally. They care about me. They accept me. They understand what's going on. So I feel like I have them. They, they've got my back. So if I really was stuck, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be allowed to be like wandering around in the dark forever. But to me, that was so, that was such a powerful lesson that my brain needed to, to like experience. Once you get past that fear of yourself, of fear of trusting yourself, you're going to be fine. You're going to be free. That's when you mm -hmm. know you're free is when you don't have that fear anymore of it. You're going to find out that you really were a bad person. Like they said, you know, you're going to be a bad person without God. And well, and it's very scary to think about how Christians are also taught that any desire you have to not be a Christian anymore or to be skeptic skeptical or explore things outside of what you've been told to believe, you're taught that that's either Satan tempting you or it's you not doing your job to have a close relationship with God. You're failing in some way. You're not reading your Bible, so you're being tempted. You really are taught from day one, don't trust yourself. Yeah, I just love your I love your analogy with the running because it's like you learned in that moment. My strength was always there. My intuition was always there. My intelligence was always there. You know, my free thinking mm -hmm. was always there. I just never trusted it. I never knew I could trust it. Mind-boggling to go back and realize the good decisions that I've made and the good things about my life, God wasn't actually there. 
that was us. And, you know, I had, I had been so accustomed to crediting everything about me that was good to God and to realize I'm actually a lot stronger than I ever knew. Do you feel in a way like you almost came out of jail or something? Because I just <laughs> I make a joke now and I say, if someone says makes a cultural reference and I hadn't heard of it, or they say, have you been to this place even? I'm like, you forgot that I just crawled out from under a rock like yeah. six months ago. <laughs> so I just crawled out from under the Christian rock. So you have your new life. You have new friends who are non-religious, but beautiful people. And I, I just, I, I don't even know where to end because your story is just so profound. And it's incredible where you came from, like the abuse and just the the brainwashing and then to be where you are now and I the energy and the the tone and in your voice from telling the beginning part of your story to the end it's so obvious how genuinely happy you are now and it's just so so beautiful and I'm so excited for your new life of not having any religious beliefs holding you down and you just get to be this like beautiful free person and do whatever you want and I hope you go crazy I do I think that's part of the I think that's part of the grieving process I think you just have to go crazy for a while and commit every quote-unquote sin so I hope you do that and I hope you do it well <laughs> um, oh, I have to tell you, I have to tell you, my older sister said almost the identical thing to me this afternoon <laughs> when we were having our conversation. This is a little scary, <laughs> but I understand what you're saying. It is my, my nature is very intense and very adventurous and I'm a fighter. Like I, I, am an advocate. Like I'm, I'm like both yes. feed in to anti-racism. Like I want to, and that's part of the reason I have not gone on Facebook and said, this is what my beliefs are and how they've changed because I'm immediately going to lose the ear of most of those people. And they're still listening to what I have to say. I'm bringing in evangelical voices for anti-racism that I know they'll, they'll listen to that, you know, so that's all going to go away. That's all going to go away. So I'm just kind of holding on to that a little bit longer while it lasts, but, but yeah, I, I really am full of the joy of life. I, hope that I get to live a long, long life from now. I've warned all my kids. They know I'm not going to be a soft granny that knits stuff. I might make them cookies, but I'm not going to knit. I'm going to be more like <laughs> granny pocket, yeah. you know, triple G granny pocket, except without the, the beehive hair, but I'm going to be running marathons and lifting weights. And I do Krav Maga self-defense. And um, that's like that, I knew that I'm going to be like that spunky, funky kind of old lady. I'm not going to be <laughs> the soft kind. Like I, I, I do fully intend to not let any more life go to waste. Before I let you go, I want to ask one last question. I want you to tell me one thing that you would say to somebody who is either visiting a church for the first time or considering becoming saved and joining Christianity. What would you say to them? I would ask them a question because... I think that people learn best when they're asked an open-ended question and they have to think it through. Uh, having someone tell me, you need to think, you need to change your mind and think this way, um, wouldn't have done anything for me. But if, if someone's asking me a question and the question I would ask them, and I use this for people, would you be willing, before you make up your mind, would you be willing to listen to my story? 
Would you be willing to listen to what I have to say? That's all I would say, because you cannot argue with someone's personal experience. I cannot thank you enough for having the willingness and bravery to share your story, because I know it's not easy to talk about. It's it's a very weird thing to have a complete stranger call you and say, hi, how's it going? Are you ready to tell me all your personal things now? And um, I am just beyond.